0: Good morning, my name is Emily Taylor, and today's scripture reading comes from Psalms 53, verses 1-6. through Only fools say in their hearts, there is no God. They are corrupt, and their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. God looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. But no, all have turned away, all have become corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. Will those who do evil never learn? They eat up my people like bread and will not think of praying to God. Terror will grip them, terror like they've never known before. God will scatter the bones of your enemies. You will put them to shame, for God has rejected them. Who will come from Mount Zion to rescue Israel? When God restores his people, Jacob will shout with joy, and Israel will rejoice. Hey, Grace242. I know I keep coming back to this documentary, Crime of the Century, but it just continues to pop up in my life. Have you ever had it where you've read a book or learned something new or watched a movie and all of a sudden it continues to pop up in your life? That's the way it's been for me for Crime of the Century. Now for those of you that missed my last message, Crime of the Century is a documentary that explores the ties between drug cartels, opiates, big pharmaceutical companies, and the government. The documentary chronicles Purdue Pharma's release of the drug OxyContin. When the company released the drug, they falsified and downplayed the addictive nature of the drug. There was a line on the OxyContin packaging that read, delayed absorption as provided by OxyContin tablets is believed to reduce the abuse liability of a drug. That claim on the packaging was completely unsubstantiated. Furthermore, the company coined the term pseudo addicted, they began ascribing this term pseudo-addicted to patients who looked like they were addicted to the drug, but were really just seeking pain relief. So the response to this supposed pseudo-addiction was to increase the dosage. Here's a former Purdue salesman. The idea of pseudo-addiction, that was talked about in training a fair amount, and the way you need to explain it to a physician is was false addiction, they do look like they're becoming addicted or drug-seeking, and that's a sign you need to increase the dose. Pseudo-addiction was a fabrication that not only masked addiction, but actually fed that addiction. As I watched the documentary, I thought to myself, somebody's got to pay for all this wrongdoing. Somebody ought to pay for all the lies, all the cover-ups, all the falsification, this epidemic that this company has created. Somebody should pay for that. And then in the documentary, you're introduced to a man by the name of Lyndon Barber, who is a lawyer for the Drug Enforcement Administration. Barber was instrumental in going after illegitimate narcotic distribution, including forcing a settlement from Cardinal Health for shady distribution practices. Today, Lyndon Barber is the Executive Vice President, Quality and Regulatory, for Cardinal Health. In 2011, Barber left the DEA and began representing the very companies he fought against. So, just when you think someone is going to bring justice, they become a tool of injustice. Watching Crime of the Century puts me in a spot where I resonate with David writing Psalm 53. I'm watching thinking verse 1. They are corrupt and their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. Which makes me wonder, verse 2, if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. And then I'm introduced to this guy, Lyndon Barber, and I think, he'll bring justice. He'll make the wrongdoers pay. But then I'm brought to verse 3. But no, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. In Psalm 53, David is lamenting the corrupt and fallen state of the world. Some scholars locate this psalm in the context of David's dust-up with a man by the name of Nabal. The Hebrew word in verse 1 for fool is naval. And in 1 Samuel 25, David butts heads with a man named Nabal, who is described in 1 Samuel 25 verse 3 as a man who was crude and mean in all his dealings. And in verse 25, Nabal's own wife says to David, let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Whew. The backstory is that David, while on the run from Saul, stayed in Nabal's fields. David and his men were kind to Nabal's shepherds, not taking anything for themselves and even helping defend the shepherds and the sheep. A feast day was approaching, so David asked Nabal if he could spare some food for David and his men. Nabal refused David's request And in retaliation, David called down a curse upon Nabal. Psalm 53 finds David grinding his teeth about the Nabal situation. Meanwhile, David is thinking, only fools say in their hearts there is no God. They are corrupt and their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. And so David asks God, will those who do evil never learn? They eat up my people like bread and wouldn't think of praying to God. When David cursed Nabal, Nabal, had a stroke on the spot, and then he died 10 days later from paralysis. David's thinking about his curse when he writes, terror will grip them, terror like they have never known before. God will scatter the bones of your enemies. You will put them to shame for God has rejected them. David's looking at the world and he's thinking, it's all evil. Look at verses two and three again. God looks down from heaven on the entire human race, He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. But no, all have turned away, all have become corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. This image of God peering down at the world and asking, is there anyone righteous? Is there anyone who follows me? Reminds me of God looking down at the world shortly before Noah and seeing the corrupt state of the world. Let's look at Genesis 6 verse 5. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. I also think about God evaluating the status of Sodom and Gomorrah. Look at Genesis 18, and we'll read verses 20 to 21. So the Lord told Abraham, I have heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant I am going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I have heard. If not, I want to know. In Psalm 53, David is resonating with God as they both look at the world and wonder, is there anyone righteous? Is there anyone that follows God? They're both dejected at the sinful and fallen nature of the world that we live in. When I look at my experience over the past year and a half, I resonate with David in Psalm 53. Because never before in my entire lifetime have evil, sinfulness, corruption, the fallenness of this world, they've never been on display like they have this past year and a half. I remember seeing video footage that surfaced of a mask sweatshop, workers crammed into unsanitary, uncomfortable positions, churning out masks for hours at a time. And then there's China's ongoing genocide of Uyghur Muslims. People are rounded up by Chinese authorities and thrown into re-education camps where they're tortured. But here in the States, we have the attack on the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. Now here's something that's going to reveal just how tangled the web of depravity really is. I just listened to an interview with an evolutionary biologist by the name of Brett Weinstein. In 2017, Weinstein was ousted from his position at Evergreen State College for voicing his opposition to a campus event whereby Evergreen College instructed white students to stay home from campus one day. Weinstein rightfully opposed this event. A mob of students formed, disrupted Weinstein's class, and demanded his resignation. And this backstory is just simply another indicator of the messed up nature of the world that we live in. In the interview that I was listening to, Brett Weinstein references another interview he did with Dr. Pierre Corey. Now, Dr. Corey is the chief medical officer of the Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance. And he also happens to be a pulmonary and critical care specialist at Aurora St. Luke's here in Milwaukee. In the interview, Dr. Weinstein and Dr. Corey discussed the work that Dr. Corey has done developing ivermectin as a treatment for COVID patients to great success. Now, here's where things get really fishy. YouTube removed Weinstein's interview with Dr. Corey, as well as Dr. Corey's testimony before the Senate on the very same topic. This prompts the question, why is YouTube removing a discussion between a doctor and a biologist? Why are they removing a testimony before Congress? Here's a doctor that's on the front lines of the fight against COVID and he's being suppressed. Why? Here's Dr. Weinstein's rightful take. Even if he had been a crank, a crank testifying in front of Congress is something the public needs to be able to see. There is no explanation for why YouTube would deem itself in a position to remove such a thing. I say all this because if you're going crazy in this environment, if you're looking at the world and you're like, it's all evil, it's all messed up, it's all nefarious, it's all corrupt, it's all fallen, then you're right where David is in Psalm 53 verse one. I think Psalm 53 prompts three responses for us as believers. Response number one, If you're looking at the world thinking, it's all evil, it's all fallen, it's all broken, it's all sinful, then I think the first response for us as believers is to take responsibility for your role. We need to take responsibility for our role in the fallenness. It's really easy for us to point the finger at others and say, look at those evildoers. But I think we need to point the finger at ourselves and take responsibility for the ways that we have contributed to that fallenness. Take responsibility for our role in contributing to the evil of this world. Take responsibility for the ways in which we have sinned and fallen short. Take responsibility for the ways that we have besmirched and dishonored the God to whom we belong. This is essentially what Paul is doing in Romans chapter three, where he quotes Psalm 53 verses one to three. Paul is telling the Jews that they are just as sinful as the Gentiles are. Look with me at Romans chapter three and we'll read verses nine to 12. Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles are under the power of sin. As scriptures say, now here's the Psalm quotation. No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away all have become useless no one does good not a single one and then just a few verses later in this same chapter Paul sums it all up with his succinct statement in Romans 3:23, when he says for everyone has sinned we all fall short of God's glorious standard it's really easy to look at the world and point the finger and say they're the problem they're the source of all this sin and fallenness but that's incomplete Before we do that, we first need to point the finger at ourselves and say, I'm the problem. Before we call out the evilness and sinfulness in the world, we need to confess the evil and sinfulness in our own lives. After we've acknowledged and confessed the sin in our own lives, Psalm 53 cultivates within us this longing for new creation, and this is the second response of the believer in Psalm 53. We long for new creation. Looking at the evil and corruption in our world makes us long for the day when God will usher us into eternity in the new heavens and the new earth, and it prompts us to long for the day when evil is punished and done away with once and for all, and we long for the day when our bodies are free of sin and decay. Back to Paul again, he describes this longing in Romans chapter 8, and we'll read verses 19-21. to For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. We groan and we long for the day when God will make all things new. We long for the new heavens and the new earth. I think that one of the good things that's come out of all of the upheaval over the past year and a half has been a dissatisfaction with this current life. Before all the upheaval, we were so comfortable living in this world that why would we even desire the next world? Why would we long for new creation when life in this current creation is so good? Rather than living this life as a preparation for eternity, we were so enamored with this life that we hardly had reason to even look forward to eternity. But I think all the discomfort, all the upheaval, all the uncertainty, I think all that pulls our vision off of this life and onto the next. In experiencing the effects of the fall more acutely in this creation, we long for a new creation that will be free of all those effects. And in our longing for new creation, we look forward to the one who will make that happen. The third response to Psalm 53 is to look to Jesus for salvation. Look with me at Psalm 53, verse six. David asks, who will come from Mount Zion to rescue Israel? When God restores his people, Jacob will shout with joy and Israel will rejoice. Who will rescue Israel? Who will restore God's people? The answer to that is, God's Son, Jesus. The ESV of Psalm 53, verse 6 reads, Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. Now, people more credentialed than me might not give this advice, but I think for someone who's just trying to read the Bible and understand it, whenever you read the word Zion, think Jerusalem. And salvation did come out of Zion. It did come out of Jerusalem because God's own Son, Jesus, died on the cross outside the city walls of Jerusalem. We look not to this world for salvation. We look to God's own son, Jesus, for salvation. Recently, I had a Psalm 53 experience. I was ranting to a friend of mine about the fallen and sinful nature of the world. And so I was right where David is in Psalm 53, verse 1. I basically am telling my friend, everyone and everything is corrupt because I was telling my friend about how frustrated I was with these people who I had voted for, who I trusted to do the right thing, but it became apparent that they completely dropped the ball and did not do the right thing, and so I'm ranting to him. And my friend said to me, Bill, go to the listening session of your local representatives. He gets on his phone and he looked up the time and place for me. And so now I'm gonna go to this listening session in a spirit of verse two, when David's asking, is anyone righteous? Does anyone seek the Lord? And so I'm going to this meeting saying, is there anyone righteous here? And ahead of time I had written my statement and so when my name was called, I stood up and I read my statement and the response that I received from my two representatives was, the first part was, they gave me a belittling separation of powers argument, as if to say, our hands are tied, can't do anything about it. And then they asked me, and this is quoting now, well, what would you want us to do about it? And so now I'm leaving the meeting and I'm right where David is in verse three. I've asked myself, is there anyone righteous here? Is there anyone who will do the right thing? And the answer to that question is no, no one's righteous. All are corrupt. <laughs> Everyone's compromised, right? But that ought not surprise me. It ought not surprise me because they're sinful just like I'm sinful. And if that's the case, then why would I look to two men who are subject to sin's curse for salvation? Why would I look to a corrupted world for salvation? If I'm looking to my representatives for some sort of salvation or some sort of righteousness, then I'm looking in the wrong place. I need to look to Jesus for salvation. It's only in Jesus that I'm saved. It's only in Jesus that sin is eradicated. It's only in Jesus that someday this world will pass away and he will usher us into the new heavens and the new earth. It's only in Jesus that this earth is made new. Look not to this world, Grace 242, for salvation. Look to Jesus for salvation. I'll close this message with Acts 4, verse 12, which we've referenced in the past. The quick context of this is Peter and John are testifying that Jesus is the Messiah. Let's look what they say to the council in Acts 4, verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. That name is Jesus. See you next time grace 242.